Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. The title of my message is Hell is for Real. Now, you know Colin uh, Burpo's experience when he, at four years of age, had appendicitis. They didn't find it right away. He went through a procedure where he had to have surgery. And during that particular time, he had an experience where he left his body and he went up into heaven and, of course, gave birth to the book that is entitled Heaven is for Real. And then the movie came out, Heaven is for Real. Well, I just thought about that. I was instructed of the Lord to teach this. And the title is Hell is for Real. Heaven's for real. We know that. But how many know that hell is for real as well? And too often people want to shy away from that subject. They want to talk about it because why it's not maybe encouraging. But how many know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven? As a matter of fact, he talked twice as much about hell than he did about heaven. And also, there's another underlying motive for this too, is that we all need a healthy dose of the fear of God. In the church, in our government, in our nation, and around the world. And also, as we get into our subject this morning... Ask yourself certain questions. Number one, what's God want me to know this morning? That's called what? Information. What's God want me to be this morning? That's called transformation. I want to be transformed by what I'm hearing today. What's God want me to receive this morning? That's impartation. What does he want to impart into my life this morning? And then finally, what does he want me to do? Application. How can I apply this to my life? How can I be more effective witness for Jesus by what I'm hearing today? I'm going to begin just uh, looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. We often use this, especially at funeral services, but I'm going to take the time to read it this morning. Luke 16. There was a certain rich man. I read an article once where someone said, this is a parable. I thought, a parable doesn't say there's a certain rich man. And also doesn't name someone, which you'll see in a moment. Which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. So a certain rich man and a certain beggar. Would you call that a parable? No, not at all. Two people that really lived. Okay, his name was Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table... Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there was a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you 
cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, what a place to start a prayer life. I pray thee, O Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If, thou hear, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now Jesus is teaching this about two individuals that lived, two individuals that died, and they had different destinations. One was a place of comfort, Abraham's bosom, and the other one was a place of discomfort and horrible pain and torment, and that's called hell. Jesus taught this to let these people know because, you know, the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They didn't at all. But Jesus was trying to teach them so they can understand it. And so he points out these two individuals. Well, he described it as a place of torment. He described hell as a place to be feared, to be honest with you. A place that no one should ever want to enter into, according to Jesus. Of course, if you believe in his credentials, do we all here believe in his credentials? He made heaven and earth see and all that in them is, and we can go on and on and give you all his credentials. Anybody here want to end up in a place of torment for the rest of your existence throughout eternity? I wouldn't think anybody would. Well, before I really get into it and explain a little bit more about it, I want to look at a verse of scripture in Matthew 10, verse 28, that we should all really take to heart. Look at what it says. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell is a place of destruction. Perpetual destruction. But he says, fear God. Don't fear anyone that can take your physical life here upon the earth. And basically, if we have a healthy fear of God, we shouldn't fear anyone else. Or anything else. Now... Before we get into some of the biblical uh, view of hell, I want to share with you some of the things that are being taught in our world today, which is why many people don't even consider hell or even think about hell. Number one, universalism. Their teaching is this. It's an awful place, but really no one goes there. God would never allow anyone to perpetually suffer in pain. Well, when it comes to universalism, I'll be honest with you. We're talking about a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where these people were word of faith people, and they had a strong belief in what we believe in. Well, the pastor of the church turned away and believed, started believing in universalism and teaching universalism. What is it? It just means that God so loved the world. Since he, he loved the world, he gave Jesus who died for the world. It means everybody's saved. Everybody's saved. So it doesn't matter what happens or how you live or whatever. Everybody's saved. So when you die, everybody's saved. Isn't that something? Wouldn't that be wonderful? What did Paul say? If that's how it is that there's no resurrection, if that's how it is everybody's going to be saved, then just live the way you want, do what you want. But that's not true. And then, of course, secondly, we have inclusivism. Once again, this is just a belief that it's all inclusive. It doesn't matter how you worship, where you worship, what you worship, that anyone that has any thought of God whatsoever and worships any other way, doesn't matter what way, it doesn't have to be our way, anybody else's way, automatically the redemptive work of Christ is applied to their life, so they won't go to hell. 
Now, if you go to a church like that and you hear that and you think, that, oh, this is pretty good. And if you think I'm kidding about this, I walked into a Bible bookstore one day some years ago and this fellow just said, I've got it all now. He said, I've learned that it's all been taken care of. doesn't matter how I live, what I do. I can commit any sin I want to commit or whatever, and I'm still going to go to heaven. And I thought, where did you learn that? Well, this kind of teaching. And then you got pluralism. This means that all religions are the same. As long as you worship the creator, it doesn't matter how you worship, whether it's, you could say, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all equally the same. And everybody, therefore, will be in heaven and nobody will be in hell. Then you've got this uh, annihilation. Oh, I'm sorry, post-mortem. This is the one that really is, is just beyond my comprehension. But this is what's being taught to people that are out there in the world. You get a second chance after you die. Especially those that have possibly never heard the gospel. That you'll be shown hell on one side, heaven on the other side, and then you have to choose. Well, wouldn't that be nice? But you see, it's not true. That's not what Jesus taught. It's appointed that the man wants to die after this, the judgment, not a second chance. Then you got annihilationism. This is the belief that when God spoke to Adam and said to him, you came from the dust of the earth, you go back to the dust of the earth, which means this. When you die, you go back to the dust of the earth. Now, if you're in Christ, that's a different story. You can make heaven, but all those outside of Christ, they don't suffer in hell. What they do is go back to the dust of the earth, and that's it. They no longer exist. Annihilationism. Well, once again, that's what they're teaching, and that's what they're hearing. And did you know the gospel you hear is the gospel you live by? That's what you're going to have faith in? Well, there's no motivation to, to do anything. If you, if, if you just want to be in a state of non-existence, you won't feel any pain or anything. So, boom, it's over. No problem. Then the next one. Christian science. Heaven and hell are not real places. That's what they teach. It's all up here. It's just in your thought. It's a statement of thought. It's what you think. Really. That's what they teach. The next one is uh, Mormonism. And the suffering is absolutely unscriptural, they say. You can look it up for yourself. It's unscriptural. God will never, ever allow anyone to suffer eternally, perpetually. He's just not like that. He's a good God. So he'll never let that happen. And then we got also Jehovah's Witnesses uh, listed here. And of course, what they think is that the wicked are annihilated also. So, you know, if, if that's what's being taught to people out there, and that's what they're believing in, then really... As far as they're concerned, no one's going to be lost in hell. The worst thing that can happen to you is what? You go back to the dust of the earth and you cease to exist. So there's no pain in that. There's no consciousness in that. That's not what Jesus taught about these two men. And we'll get to that in a moment. But before that, look at Daniel chapter 12. It's not in your notes. Is that okay? In verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt and abhorrence. Does that sound like that they uh, no longer exist? Not at all. See, what the Bible teaches is something different. Look at Isaiah 66, 
And look at what it says here in verses 23 through 24. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. If I can, in a moment, give you a quick visual here, and this is where we're going to bring up our video in just a moment. But what he is saying is this. They're going to be worshiping before the throne of God, but then they're going to go to a place where they can have almost like a looking glass, looking into the bowels of the earth, where they see the flesh of those that have, that have transgressed the laws of God as a reminder that you don't do that any longer to see to it that there is never any more rebellion. When they see all the stench of that taking place, who's going to want a part of that? No one. You talk about curbing the desire to sin against God. This video just is a video that Bill Weiss was allowed 23 minutes in hell. And God showed him this. We played it once in its full length some time ago. But this is just a clip of, let's say, a picture of, like a Hollywood version of what he saw when he was in hell. Just to show people that hell's a real place. Let's, let's see it. This is leaving the body, descending into the bowels of the earth. Seemingly at a rapid pace. There we go.
kinographic, she's not the only one that saw something similar to that. Others have as well. Did you notice that there were crosses there? As he narrated this, he said, because people didn't accept Christ on the cross for their sins, that they were on the cross for their own sins. And that's where they were. And then, of course, they would fall into the fire and all that. But when Jesus taught this subject, he warned people of the place called eternal punishment and separation from God. And I'll tell you what, we do need another dose of that in our society today. Yes, we should want to serve God because we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'll tell you what, there's also another side to this as well. People need to hear the reality of separation from God and what it really means. Because there's life and there's death. There's good and there's evil. There's light and there's darkness. There's comfort and there's discomfort. And we're not talking a little discomfort. So, in this, Jesus describing hell. Look at Matthew 5.22. This is Jesus' description of hell himself. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with the brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, uh, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Well, what, what, why a warning when it comes to hell fire if it's not going to affect the person that's there? He's not ceasing to exist. He's in hellfire. Look at 25 verse 41. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, in the everlasting, everlasting, everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So it wasn't prepared for man. Who was it prepared for? The devil and his angels. But who's going to be there? Those that transgress the law of God. Those that rebel against God. Look at Mark 9, 43. So now we see it's eternal fire. And it's also unquenchable fire. And if thy right hand, or if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and going to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. So what is he saying? Cut it, actually, he says, cut it off. It'd be better for you to be maimed and just go into heaven, you know, with supposedly one hand. Of course, you know, one hand wouldn't it'd be regenerated in heaven. But notice also outer darkness, he called it. Look at Matthew 8 and verse 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about that. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound like a picnic. Outer darkness. Go on and, and look at uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 25, verse 30. And casting the unprofitable servant to the outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A grinding of teeth. Weeping. When they showed the picture of the woman that was being chased by the fire, then she was being burned up. Remember, well, the fire is never quenched. Well, what fuels the fire is the souls of those that are in rebellion against God. And because that person that would have been consumed by the fire doesn't cease to exist, it will come back into, into her body, it will just come back again because it's, it's going to be forever. She just burns all over again. And once she's burned away, then it comes back again and she's burned all over again. Where the worm dies not means the worm eats the body. And then once it's done eating the body, then the body comes back and it just eats it over and over again. It just keeps feeding on it. So imagine a place of eternal existence where you're consumed by fire and worms for the rest of your being. Look at uh, Luke's Gospel 16. This is what we just read. It's a place of torment. In hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeing Father Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. So it's a place of absolute torment. All this man wants is a 
just a drop of water to help out in any way to cool his tongue for the torment. Now that to me sounds like the person's still alive and it sounds like he has feelings and so on. And he's being tormented in the flame. Look at um, John 3.36. This is also referred to as God's wrath. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, you ready for this, abides on him, remains on him. This is the wrath of God remaining on someone throughout eternity. And my question is this, why would I want the wrath of God on me when he placed it on his son? He put it on him so I wouldn't have to bear it. I've got to believe in what he did. It has nothing to do with what I did, but what he did. I've got to believe in his sacrifice. The wrath of God was placed on him so I wouldn't have to go there and have that wrath of God on me throughout eternity. Look at um, John 5 and 29. I shall come forth that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of what? Da damnation. So the resurrection of life means you have eternal life, but the resurrection of damnation means you are eternally damned. And so it's a place of, uh, of damnation. And then also it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, which we saw a couple of verses, but look at this one in Matthew 13, verse 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So it's a place that Jesus is describing to people to let them know this is a real place. This is not a thought in a person's mind. This is a place that once one enters into that place, they will never come out of that place and these things will continue on throughout eternity. Okay, look at Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul describing hell as eternal destruction. And God will use this persecution to sow his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey God, obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction forever, separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believe what we told you about him. So now Paul, where did he get his revelation from? Jesus. He's taught him the gospel, right? And he says they're going to be eternally destroyed under the wrath and judgment of Almighty God in a place of horror and torment. Okay, in the Hebrews. Now this is, a, this is called a doctrine of Christ. Look at this. Of the doctrine of baptisms, he's talking about the different doctrines, and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead, and of how long judgment? Eternal judgment. Someone eternally judged, eternally tormented throughout their entire existence, not one moment closer to getting out from that place. Okay, look at uh, Peter, what he said about it. He said, it's chains of darkness. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, he goes on to say then about everybody else. 
So it's a place where they're chained in darkness. It's a place of, of torment. It's a place of absolute despair, discomfort. And the list goes on and on as to how horrible it is. Look in Jude. It's also eternal fire. And this is Jude revealing it to us, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of what? Eternal fire. You see, beloved, I'll tell you what. It's when you love people that you share these truths. You're not judging people to say you're a bad person, you're doing something that is wrong. If a person chooses to live a lifestyle apart from what God says is what he ordained for humankind, that's their decision. They can do that if they want to. But it's up to us at least warn them and let them know so their blood won't be upon us. That look, this is not the way God wants people to live. And there is an end result that you might not want to hear. And that's why I really think this... This is my opinion, I guess, if I could throw it out to you. This one saved, always saved business is just ridiculous. If you stay in Christ, guaranteed, one saved, always saved. But you start walking into sin, the depths of sin, you'll find out how far it'll take you. Well, how far is too far? You don't want to go there. Why would you want to go there? He said himself, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let me ask you a question. If you can't walk away, then how are you being seduced by these spirits to walk away? Why would they seduce us to walk away? And when he talks about depart, the word depart, actually, the Greek word actually means step by step, little by little, inch by inch, step by step. People walk away from walking with God, walk away from what the truth is, and little by little, little by little, it's like, I guess a good example would be if you're, on the ocean. And let's just say you set up your camp right there in front of you. And you wade down to the water in the ocean. And your family's right in front of you. And you look down a little bit. Maybe you're playing with someone or whatever. Next thing you know, you look up. They're not there. Where are you at? You're down here. What happened? Well, the current carried you down that way. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've been there before. You didn't realize it happened. You didn't recognize it. Same thing is true in our Christian walk. People begin to drift away little by little by little by little, caving under the pressure of what we experience in this life. And before you know it, they're not as on fire for God. They're not living for God, not walking in love, etc., etc. And then get into some things that are absolutely against the laws of God. And basically what they're doing is, is toying with their salvation. God doesn't want that. He wants us to reel us all, ourselves all back in and start putting Him first in our lives and walking with Him. Look at the book of Revelation. This kind of says it all. It's the wrath of God. It's the lake of fire. It's the second death. And, and again, John writes this, but who gave John the revelation? Jesus did. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or on his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment. Whew. Ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Wow. Think about that. The wrath of God upon that person and torment throughout eternity. The lake of fire. Look at chapter 20 and verse 14. 
and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Now we see that hell is a holding place. The ultimate place is going to be the lake of fire. And this is called the second death. The second death. I'll tell you what, you don't want the second death. We don't want hell in the first place, but then the second death, which is eternal. And then finally, uh, look at chapter 21, verse 8, this lake of fire. But the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So now we have a revelation given to us by God, by the Son of God Himself. What He taught when He was on earth, what He taught to the Apostle Paul, what He shared with Peter as well, and, and Jude, and these others. And now through John, He gives us a revelation of this all taking place. In the Old Testament, He said it through Daniel. He said it through Isaiah. And there are other references that we can go to as well. But obviously, hell is a real place. And the idea is this. God wants us to avoid it. He didn't make it for mankind. He made it for the devil and his angels that followed. But not for mankind. But when Adam and Eve made a decision to do what they did, there you go. That leaves us on the course that we're on. Now, someone once said, how can God, who is a wonderful God, a good God, ever sentence someone to be tormented in hell? Well, has anyone ever asked the question, how can a good judge sentence someone to go to the wheelchair, or to go to the uh, electric chair, who was, uh, a, let's say, a serial killer or a mass murderer? Does that mean he's not a good judge? No, he's there. Why? Because of the life choices he made to do the things that he did, to live the way that he lived, to take other people's lives, he was sentenced by a good judge to go to that place. So, we're not talking about the fact that God's not good and merciful, but he's also a God of justice and judgment as well. And so we know that. And so we know that he loves us and cares for us deeply. But he also, we also know that he's a God of justice and judgment. And so that's why it's up to us to walk with God in the fear of the Lord and see to it that we stay on the straight and narrow. Now, the three M's, we'll conclude with the three M's of Luke 16, 19-31, because we can extract from this teaching that Jesus taught about these two men. Number one, it's a place of misery. It's a place of misery. Look at the verses in verse 23 and 24 again. This place is a place of absolute misery. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Father Abraham, Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Okay, this man was tormented in the flame the moment he entered into that place. And now he's experiencing this burning on his tongue that he wants to be quenched. Please send Lazarus to come and just, just a drop of water. Imagine what it's like. Have you ever been in a place where you were so thirsty you had to have something to drink? I don't know that we've maybe in this country ever been to the place to where we were so, 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 so thirsty. Unless you've been caught in a desert somewhere and you couldn't get out. That you're just absolutely crying out for water. Here's a man who is still, how many thousands of years later? Let's say at least 2,000 years later, he still didn't get that, just the tip of his finger to cool his tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. Can you imagine never having that alleviated whatsoever? No relief from that whatsoever? 
What an awful, awful thing. Something as small as water to cool my tongue. This is a place of misery. It's a place of torment. It's a place that's horrible and horrific to be a part of. And no one should want to be there. And he still hasn't been at all satisfied. Number two, it's a place, and this is really powerful, of memory. Look at verse 25. It's a place of memory. But Abraham said, son, remember. Now remember where we're at. Look at what we're talking about. Where's he at? In hell. What's he asked to do? Remember. Remember what? That you in your lifetime received your good things. Can you imagine those good things flashing by him? All the good things of his life. The Bible says he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. What does that mean? Purple, fine linen. He was living just a wonderful life. He had servants that served him and so on and so forth. He had anything he ever wanted. And just the fact that he said that Lazarus was a beggar who wanted crumbs, you know the guy ate well. So he had no regard for God. He had no regard for man during this lifetime that God said, or Abraham says, remember, go back and remember how you lived your life. Remember the opportunities you had to come to God. Maybe remember a friend, maybe a Jewish friend came up to you and said to you some things about, hey, you know, you got to think about eternity and so on. We say it this way in our society, in our Christianity, remember the opportunity you had to come to Christ when someone witnessed to you, but you just shoo them away. I don't want to hear that. Or remember on television when someone came on and said, praise the Lord, like I did when I first heard praise the Lord on television, I thought these people were lunatics. I did. I was in a, you know, I was in a religion, but it wasn't reality with God. I never heard anybody say praise the Lord, come to Christ and all that sort of thing. I thought they were crazy. And I just turned the station as fast as I possibly could. Until I got saved. When I got saved, no longer did I have that same kind of an attitude. But these people will be there and they will be remembering. Remember when so-and-so came to you? Remember when this other one tried to get your attention? Remember when they told you that you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that? And all of a sudden you just shoo them away, got rid of them, ridiculed them, laughed at them. I mean, and all that that took place. Remember that? Your life is there. You're going to remember all these opportunities that were there. But as a result of their rejecting all that, they're going to remember, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Why didn't I reach out to help even this man called Lazarus? You know what? He's going to remember this. He couldn't take his money with him. But he took his memory with him. And part of that eternal punishment... The wasted opportunities that he's going to think about over and over. Why? Why? Why didn't I say yes? Why didn't I come to Christ? Why did I think that they were crazy? Why did I think I'll just do it myself? I'm thinking about someone right now. This was downtown Midland. We were walking together and I'm witnessing to this person. I'm sharing with him. I know his background. I know his religious background. I know he's not born again. And this will prove it. And I'm talking about Christ, talking about Jesus, and letting him know, line upon line, precept upon precept. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I said, I know your religious background. I just want to make sure. Do you, do you know that he died for your sins? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know he died for my sins. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead and he's alive right now, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high? Mm -hmm. I believe that. 
With all my heart, I believe that. Really? Yeah. I said, do you think that maybe you would want to make him the Lord of your life? And it got very quiet. And he said to me, I think I'm doing a pretty good job with my own life. I'm not giving it to anybody else right now. I said, okay. Anybody can say, oh, I believe in God. The devils believe in God and they tremble, we we're told, right? This person said all the right thing, but guess what? When it came time for him to say, yes, I'll make him Lord and Savior of my life, he said, no. I want to live the way I want to live. Didn't Jesus say that the ones that are in darkness, they would rather be in darkness rather than come to the light? They love the darkness more than the light. So remember, God is, is just, but God is good. He'll allow the person to take the course they want to take. It's up to them to take the course. So a lot of people are professing. That's what we mean by professing Christians. Oh yeah, I believe. Believe is an action word. Believe means I embrace Him as my Savior. It means I take Him as my Lord. It means I fear him above everything else. It means that I am moved and motivated to walk with Him in my life, to give Him my life, to take up my cross, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him. What do I deny myself of? Living a life independent of God. Deny myself. Take up my cross means submit my will to the will of God for my life, no matter what my will might be. Follow Him meaning what? Allow Him to make me what He wants me to be. Jesus told his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you what I want you to be. So this guy is now in hell with his memory and he's thinking about his whole life. And that's what Abraham says. Remember your lifetime. That while you in your lifetime lived the way you wanted to live and did what you wanted to do and pleased yourself and you weren't even concerned about a lowly beggar to give him a loaf of bread. You had what you wanted. You got your reward. And now, he's being rewarded because he had nothing, but he had God. And that's why he's here, and that's why you're there. And besides, 2,000 years, Christ has been risen from the dead. And who's listening to him? Right? All right, look in uh, number three. It's a place of mourning. It's a place of mourning. Why? Because once you enter in, it's inescapable. Once you in, enter in, there's no possible way you can get out. Now, in verses 27 to 31, look at what he does. Therefore he said, I pray thee. Once again, how weird that the man starts to pray. Therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Apparently, he has memory, doesn't he? Apparently, he knows he has family on the earth. Apparently, he is now concerned about his brothers. He is concerned, is removed from himself, but now he has five brothers. He doesn't want them to come and be there with him. Well, he says, I have five brothers that he, they may, he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses, they have the prophets, then let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. 
And if you recall the story when the other Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus, some believed and some did not. How, wow, how callous, how cold can someone be who watches a dead man for four days whose body's begun to decay, come out of a grave, Jesus raised him from the dead, that's why he kept him in the grave clothes so they wouldn't accuse him of using a fake, unwrap him, and there he is, and they walk away and say, I still don't believe. Are you kidding me? You see a man raised from the dead after four days and you still don't believe that he is the Son of God? Pretty sad, isn't it? How can we convince people if they can't believe that? Well, it's a place of mourning. It's not a place of fellowship with friends. How many of you know Ted Turner? Everybody know Ted Turner? Turner Broadcasting Company? He was in a meeting one time with some of the journalists were there and all that. And he gave his uh, spill, and here's what he said. I'm paraphrasing it. I'm not quoting it. I'm paraphrasing it. Heaven is going to be a slender place. There's not going to be a whole lot of people there. And I certainly don't want to be there. He said, because it's a perfect place. Who wants to live in a perfect place? He said, I'm going to go to hell. And probably almost all you journalists are going to go to hell also. But at least we can look at this. At least when we get there, I hear it's a messed up place. We can get it straightened out down there. We'll clean it up a little bit. Isn't it something, the mentality that people have? They view hell as just another place. Okay, so I'm not as happy. Maybe it's not as exciting as heaven. But it's still, I'm going to be there with my buddies. And you see, we're going to get together and we're going to maybe put our brains together. And we're going to make it a nicer place. We're going to clean it up a little bit. What kind of a mentality is that? That's what he said. He went from, now there's, there's a little bit of light here. He went from saying at first, I am an atheist, to then rising up to an agnostic. Atheist says there is no God. Agnostic says, well, if there is one, prove it to me. Thirdly, to the point where he once said that if a friend of his was dying of cancer, he would pray to something out there to help that person. So maybe there's conviction coming upon his soul. I would pray that would be the case. But what kind of mentality is that that says, I will go to hell, I'm going to buddy with my friends, we're going to put our heads together, and we're going to clean up the place. There's no understanding of right and wrong, light and darkness, heaven and hell. Then I told you the one that really startled me when I was preaching a funeral up in Ambridge. And... Everybody was really ripping on the person that died. When I got done with my message, it wasn't too popular. And one fellow just was so bored out of his mind, just stretched his hands out and just said, I'm not afraid of death, I'm not afraid of God, I'm not afraid of anything. Really? Okay. The day's coming. <laughs> the day's coming. Remember when Job said, put on the boxing gloves, God, I'm going to box with you. When he showed up, what did he say? After the first question, he was ready to run. And God said, uh-uh, come back, come here. I got more for you, Job. Well, anyhow, this woman in her 80s, someone's grandma, someone's mother, finally, after all this nonsense was being spewed my way, she comes up and she says, Sonny, 
I know where I'm going. I thought, oh, a breath of fresh air, a light in the darkness. Thank God for this wonderful elderly lady that knows where she's going. And she says, yep, I'm going straight to hell and play strip poker with the devil. Her exact words. I went from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> I concluded all that ripping on the person that was dead. That person had to be a Christian. Had to be because everybody else was just ripping her apart. She's probably tried to get them all saved. They didn't want to hear it. It is so sad in our society today that hell is just so spoken lightly of it doesn't exist. You're annihilated. You know, you, you, don't, you don't exist anymore, so there's no pain. And God's such a good God, He can never do that. A good judge is going to sentence you to life in prison with no parole if you commit that kind of a crime. Well, I didn't commit any crime against God. Yes, you did, Adam. In Adam, we all sinned against God. We all fall short of the glory of God. Nobody, nobody gets a free pass. You don't go past, you know, go, whatever... You go straight to jail. But when you die. Unless you have Jesus in your heart. So, our conclusion, the dead are still alive. We are living in the land of the dying. And when we die, we go to the land of the living. And where we spend our eternal living is dependent upon our belief more than our behavior. Because your behavior can't get you into heaven. Your belief can get you into heaven. But then your belief will also change your behavior on this side of heaven. Can you see that? And God sent Jesus to die for us in our place. So as a result, praise God, we don't have to go to a place of eternal suffering. We can be with Him in eternal glory. The dead still retain their personalities and their character. The dead still can see, they can hear, they can feel, they can remember all that. They can also speak and reflect and think about the things that they did when they lived here on the earth. So it's important that we recognize none of us has to go to hell. No one. And I, I'm just going to give you this. Pick up the CD and give it to somebody you know that's not saved. Let it do the speaking for you. Why? There's a heaven to gain people and there's a hell to shun. And people need to open up their ears and their hearts and their eyes to see it. We want them to make heaven. We love them into heaven. And it's an act of love to share these truths with people. Wouldn't you agree? Let's all stand together before the Lord.